Welcome to Work Beautifully, a podcast brought to you by Dialpad that discusses growth, learnings, and pitfalls to avoid in business. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. Welcome to season three of Work Beautifully, a podcast brought to you by Dialpad, covering the latest in business communications and AI. I'm Grace Lau, Director of Growth Content here at Dialpad, and I'll be your host for the season. In episode one, I chatted with Etienne Manderscheid, Dialpad's head of AI research, about Lambda AI, which is an AI chatbot that was created by Google and whether AI can be sentient. You can catch that episode on Spotify. In this episode, we're joined by Dialpad's director of machine learning, Simon Corson Oliver, to talk about linguistics and why it's such an important consideration for companies that are using and building AI tools. Thanks so much for joining us today, Simon. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here. Yeah. Um, why don't you start by introducing yourself to our audience and telling them a bit about your role here at Dalpad? Sure. So uh, I'm in the uh, AI division, uh, managing teams that do um, computational linguistics. So just to give a bit of context, we have uh, whole teams which do speech recognition. They produce a transcript, and then my teams take the transcript and we analyze them looking for interesting bits of information that we can help uh, businesses to extract value. Very cool. So I'm curious, I think we're going to be asking this of everyone we bring on, but what brought you into the field of AI? Luck and and being in the right place at the right time, I sometimes think. Ever since I was a teenager, I wanted to be a linguist and I wanted to do software development. Um, In grad school, I uh, found found an internship at uh, Microsoft Research in the mid-90s at a time when uh, natural language processing, machine learning, AI was really booming. And so I was lucky to be in the right place at the right time. Uh, You know, these days, people decide that they're interested in that and you can go and do a whole degree in computational linguistics, but that wasn't really an option back then. Yeah. 90s. I didn't realize it was already happening all the way back then. And with Microsoft too, that's pretty cool. The the, the beginning of a golden age. Yeah. There was a time in the 80s that people refer to as the AI winter when a lot of funding just froze up. People had made extravagant claims and then they couldn't deliver. US funding agencies wouldn't fund AI. In the 90s, people started to get interested again. That's when Google was born. um, The web was born. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Probably helps that there were some movies back then. I think AI came out. I don't know if it was the 90s or which decade that came out, but I imagine it was around then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. So let's get into a topic that I think is really interesting personally, but it might fly under the radar for some folks. So with a lot of AI technology today, people talk about machine learning and deep learning and algorithms and all this stuff. But linguistics is actually a big piece of the puzzle, too. And it's something I've noticed ever since I started working at Dialpad is we have a lot of linguists on our team. Yeah, this is huge. And I think especially with AI software like transcription tools and context center tools that leverage a lot of language related features, I guess you'd call it. Um, So can you start by telling us a bit about why linguistics and having linguists are so important for a company that's building AI software? Sure. Um, It didn't always used to be this way. In the 80s and 90s, there were a lot of people with linguistics backgrounds who were doing computational linguistics. 
And at that time, people really had the idea that you wanted to take the expertise from a linguist's brain and code it somehow, explicitly take the knowledge that they had and code it. Um, these days, I think a lot of people think of computational linguistics as being one problem that you can apply machine learning to. And they're very proud of the fact that they have um, very mathematical machine learning models. Deep learning is huge. And if you throw enough data at them, it will learn how language works. Um, so that's a very common view. I've even heard people brag that they have never even looked at the data or that they don't speak a word of the language that they're studying. And they use this as evidence that their algorithms are so good, you don't even need to know the language. Um, yeah, that's so we wild. Yeah, we take a contrary view, which is that linguists have been studying many of these problems for a long time. Uh, linguists have been very deliberately studying telephone conversations since the late 50s. So there's a lot of um, expertise, prior research that we can tap into and use. And also linguists have a certain way of thinking about language, thinking about data that um, can inform what we do. And it's true that we have... Um, an unusually high number of linguists on our team, but I just want to emphasize that we also have people from many other backgrounds. Uh, one person's background is in quantum physics, a person with a PhD in material science, um, people with PhDs and master's degrees in um, computer science, all sorts of things. So um, it's one part of the team is that linguistics perspective. That's amazing that we have so many scientists on the team. I, I really didn't realize that when I first joined, but it it makes sense given, I think, how unique our AI tool is. Um, you mentioned that back in the 50s, linguists were working on these problems. What was happening in the 50s that required <laughs> required them to, to work on these kind of solutions? Um, the Google of the time was uh, Bell Labs, who hired lots of scientists and they funded lots of research. And research that wasn't even necessarily um, obviously going to result in Bell making money. They just funded, funded a lot of pretty fundamental stuff. And of course, they were a telephone company. They were interested in what was going on on the conversations, and they started um, getting academics to really study them. Um, wow. And since then, uh, a lot of other linguists have gotten fairly interested. But there has been uh, an emerging science of studying conversation um, and uh, phone calls are one very peculiar, like very specialized form of conversation. Like we we teach children how to answer the phone. You know, we teach them that it's not okay to just nod. You need to actually verbally respond more than you normally would. Like all of those things we've learned. Um, and you know them. You, you know how to have a phone conversation as an English speaker, but you might not be able to articulate exactly why. So yeah. I often tell people that some of the things that linguists have, have identified as being characteristic of phone conversations are obvious once you point them out. Like uh, you call someone and you might chat for a little bit and within a few minutes you have to say why you're calling. Like you interrupted their day and you need to say like, oh, well, the reason I'm calling is such and such. So that right. little nugget like that was discovered to be a recurring pattern in phone conversations and something that we can use when we're identifying why customers are calling. So we're tapping right. into that, that long vein of research. Yeah. I mean, especially if you're a customer calling a business, there has to be a, 
has to be a good reason why you're calling them. Exactly. And, and customers calling a business tend to get right to the point. Um, sometimes yeah. if you call your friend, you might just chat socially for several minutes inquiring about each other's health and families and this and that. And it can take a while until you actually get around to why you called. Um, yes, but in phone calls to a contact center, people tend to just blurt out why they're calling because they want to get right to it. They want to get yeah. help with their problem. Something I've wondered about a lot Um possibly because I spend way too much time on LinkedIn and I just get too many ads in general. But there seems to be more and more companies out there in in all sorts of industries, not just in our space and telephony or contact center that are touting AI powered features or AI this, AI that. And one thing that I've always been a little bit kind of eh, confused, not confused, but just wondering about, hesitant about is like how how do you tell what's legit and what's not in terms of the AI features and the AI technology? Because there can't, I mean, my assumption is it can't all possibly be the same, you know, level or quality of AI, can it? Sure. There's definitely a lot of hype in the industry. Um, for a time when there was no funding for AI, people would claim that they were not doing AI, they were doing something else, um, you know, data mining or something. But it's okay to say you're doing AI now. It's a big buzz mm-hmm. term. It's used in advertising. Yeah, so there's definitely a lot of hype. Um, as a scientist, one of the things that I look at is to see whether there is really solid research behind it. Um, like, is it peer reviewed? So this is something, it's, it's almost a, a nerdy obsession with scientists, but it's like, have you written this up and put it in front of other scientists for them to really scrutinize and get feedback? Like sometimes people tell you that they have a secret formula. They've, they've cracked the secret of how to do such and such. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just immediately makes me suspicious. It's possible, but seems unlikely. Yeah. So I want to know that it's, it's based in solid science. Um, and then you see extravagant claims. Like we see companies claiming that their speech recognition has a two or 3% error rate. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just not right. Like, as people in this really? field, we know that depending on the person's accent, the error rate is usually between 10 and 20% for English. Um, so if you claim 3%, that's the kind of thing that will get you whatever the linguistics equivalent of a Nobel Prize is. Like you basically solved wow. the problem of speech recognition. Um, yeah. So when people are just making outrageous claims about accuracy that don't match what we know as scientists in the field, it's a real yeah. red flag. Um And the other thing we look at is um, there are basic um, gut checks that we do. So we say, well, are people even able to do this thing? Like sometimes they'll claim that they can detect personality attributes or something only from listening to your voice. Um, Like, do we really think that people are able to do that? Or um, is, you know, has anyone done this before? Um, And then there are other things where, the problems are well studied, well understood. We know that they have high accuracy solutions like uh, extracting named entities. So it's very useful in a conversation to pluck out the names of the cities, um, companies, products that get mentioned. Uh, You can track those to see what your customers are talking about. And we know that that's a problem that people have been studying for a really long time. The solutions are well understood with high accuracy. So fine, like it's reasonable to believe their claims about those. So yeah, so I guess as a scientist, uh, I, I apply scientist methods, right? Like, um, it does it sound reasonable? Uh, is it peer-reviewed? Does it follow what we know from science? Makes sense. That makes sense. So out of curiosity, beyond 
trans when it comes to AI and software and linguistics and, and kind of natural language beyond transcription tools and maybe sentiment analysis tools, are there other types of software or tools with other purposes? Yeah, uh, well, probably the most well-known is um, grammar checking and proofing tools. So much more clever spell checking, um, right? So originally spell checking would just tell you that that word isn't a word in my dictionary. Uh, Mm -hmm. But these days you might even use a word which is in the dictionary, but it's being used incorrectly. So much more sophisticated spell checking, grammar checking. Those are fairly mature. Um, And there was one other thing I was thinking of. just as, oh, language learning is a thing that's receiving uh, a lot of attention, um, including tools that help you to practice your accent. Just you know, mm. in, in the privacy of your own room, you're um, practicing and practicing until you get it right. And some uh, AI is evaluating that that sounds pretty close right. to me. Yeah. So, like, is that like Duolingo? Yeah. So, um, I'm not familiar with their features, but certainly um, we see more and more advanced AI features being used in language teaching software yeah very cool okay Um, and one other application that i've always found fascinating is um in the medical field where people are studying how you can successfully communicate medical information to patients to help make sure that they do the right things like you want them to really understand what they're supposed to do after the surgery or how they're supposed to take the medicine and very often things are written in a way that assumes a very high level of understanding of medicine, right? So you need ways that you can accurately communicate information to people who are not trained in the medical field. And uh, there are metrics that you can do. You can look at the readability. You can um, do experiments to see which things result in people actually following through and, and getting the best health oh. outcomes. That's very cool. I don't think I've heard about that application of AI, but... I like to look at the really yeah. positive things that yeah make the world a better place. That's just yeah, me. yeah. No, that's definitely great optimistic um, application <laughs> of it. Um, on a related note, is there a particularly cool kind of AI plus linguistics uh, collaboration or application of the technology that you've seen? Yeah, this one again in the medical field. Um, Sometimes there is research that you just follow at a distance and uh, and admire. So not not an area that I've worked in myself, uh, but I have seen some papers where people are doing um, analysis of social media posts. So this is not scary spying on on individuals type stuff. It's just um, looking at aggregate. Um, information on Facebook or Twitter and noticing that there is an increase in certain topics, like people beginning to mention medical symptoms like headaches or nausea. Mm -hmm. And you can actually see in advance of the public health officials even being aware that there is something brewing. There is a new flu epidemic in this area. Um, So again, with my very positive, uh, optimistic outlook, I like to think that you could use that information, um, like package it up, give it to public health officials, they could really get on top of things before they even start seeing people turning up in the emergency rooms with advanced forms of some illness. Um, wow. Yeah, so that, that, that's one of the more positive things that I have followed from a distance. And it's actually similar in the technology to the kinds of things that we do at Dialpad where we're looking for emerging topics and trends from the conversations that you're having with your customers. That 
if you ask your customer support agents, they might remember a few conversations that they had that it's like, oh, yeah, this seems to be an issue with such and such. But if you look across all of the agents and all of the conversations during the whole month, do we see new trends and new topics emerging? Um, so, yeah. Uh, that's cool. Based, based on sound science and um, and done in the aggregate. Yeah. Cool. So all that being said, and I think I know what your answer might be, but you mentioned earlier that um, linguists play such a central role in helping build these AI tools. So is it possible to build a good piece of software or a good AI platform without linguists, given that some of the, some kind of, I guess, companies have claimed that even if they don't speak a certain language, the mm -hmm. algorithms are so good that it still works. Right. Um, as a scientist, I think I'm for forbidden from saying that something is impossible. <laughs> So what Fair I enough. will say is that I do feel like we have significantly reduced the time. Like definitely what we see with current approaches to machine learning is that they are data hungry. So as you feed them more and more and more data, eventually they start to see patterns. Um, what we've seen um, with uh, linguists on our staff is that we can give them uh, a relatively small amount of data and using all of their linguistic expertise, they can begin to see patterns much faster than what the machine learning algorithms would have. And we can start to see like, you know, is there something reliable in this data that we could then go and gather more data? Um, so they can see certain grammatical constructions. They can see certain words being used in unusual ways. And mm -hmm. that suggests the kind of data that we could gather. So I like to think that we can be more effective. Um, we can take the expertise and the training of the linguists, use it to, um, especially in, in the early prototyping phase, use it to be more effective. Very cool. Good diplomatic answer. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so Simon, we've talked about accuracy and prototyping and how linguistics can help that. But in terms of a final product or the final software, how does AI help there or does it help there? There's a couple of things that we really look for in linguistics. One of them is, have you found a very general solution? So um, there are features which amount to looking for specific words in a transcript. And if a speaker says that exact word and the speech recognition transcribes it correctly, then you can detect it. Like very simple, very uh, brittle solutions. What we look for in linguistic solutions are things which can handle the fact that people can use uh, the same words with multiple different meanings, so maybe not the meaning that you were interested in, or they can express the same meaning using different words, right? There's tremendous variability in language. Um, they can use different grammatical constructions. They can use different words. Uh, they might break something up over several utterances. And um, so we want to be able to handle all of those. So one of the things that we look for as we're analyzing context-centered conversations is that we're really coping with the sheer diversity of how people express it. Um, so people express things because they actually have slightly different meanings um, and therefore uh, different ways of saying them. They also have different ways of saying things because of their own linguistic background. Um, they might not be a native speaker of English. They may speak some other dialect. Um, we want to handle all of that diversity so you really capture what's going on. So to my mind, better AI features and language are those features which really capture 
just the sheer variety of language, the different ways of saying things, the different meanings. Can you give some examples of where it might have a different meaning expressed in, in a single way? Um, sure. Um, so one example we had was that we have a sentiment model. So it tells you in the moment if the customer seems to be uh, angry or happy. And they'll say things mm -hmm. like, oh, that's great. Thanks so much. And it's like, okay, that's a happy customer. And then people start swearing and doing other things like this is an unhappy customer. Yeah. And we were analyzing um, Australian English because we were expanding into that market. And we found that there was a lot more negative sentiment. And we had a sort of stereotype that maybe they swear more and things. Um, yeah. But we also saw a lot more positive sentiment. We really couldn't figure it out. So we had to do some data analysis, looking at the things which our AI had identified as positive sentiment. And we found that at the ends of phone calls, people in Australia were much more likely to say things like, thank you very much. Not just thanks, but like, thank you very much, mm. which in our North American data was considered to be a very polite thing to say. But mm -hmm. in Australian English, apparently it's just like, it's not so Every polite. Every day, it's yeah. Polite. It's polite, but it's not super polite. And yeah. our model was thinking that these were exceptionally happy customers where they were just saying something very formulaic. Um, mm. So you would think for English, like um, like that sequence of words, thank you very much, occurs in North America and in Australia, but apparently it means slightly different things on that uh, emotional temperature gauge. Interesting. Yeah, I was wondering if you were meaning like synonyms or oh, some other too. meaning of that. Yes. Oh, that too. Do you, yes. have, do you have examples of that? Yeah. So one interesting thing that happens when customers call a company is that they are not likely to use the same technical terminology that the companies use themselves. Um, there was one example that we were discussing internally of a medical device, whether it was some sort of a belt that goes around your chest and measures heart rate or something. And the company had an extremely medical name for it. It was a rhythmia, such and such, blah, blah, blah. And the customers tended to call it like the, the chest belt. or so. I, I forget the specific, but, but they certainly didn't use the medical name. And so you had to know mm -hmm. that when customers use this very informal description, they're referring to your product. Um, oh. So somehow you need a way to map it. And um, the way that we do it is by matching those mentions of named entities. Wow. It's... Definitely. Every day I feel like I learn more about how our AI transcription works and it's so much more work than what I originally thought it was. So yeah, it recognizes words and then it transcribes them. That's that's mm -hmm. it, A to B. But yeah, language is a is a beast for sure. Um, and so much yeah. of this is stuff that as a speaker of English, you naturally do this, right? You, you naturally, uh, if you're talking to somebody outside of your area of specialization or if you're talking to a child, you, know, you, you might decide yourself that you're going to use slightly less technical terms. Um, like we naturally adapt like that um, to the point that we're not even really aware that it's going on. And then it's only when you try doing very simple things like matching specific words in a transcript that you realize that there's so much more variation. Yeah. You can't possibly list all of the ways that somebody might say it. You need a much more flexible technology to solve that for you. Yeah. And language is always evolving too. Like yes. even the slang, slang words that we use, it's, yeah, it, it's a lot of keeping top of. What I've started doing recently is studying um, typed interactions. So customers are interacting with companies more and more on their Facebook page, through Instagram and Twitter. Mm -hmm. um, so in the past, our team was really focused on analyzing uh, spoken conversations. 
we're doing a lot more work now looking at those typed interactions. And it's exciting for linguists because we feel like we're seeing new ways of using language emerging. Like people are sprinkling emojis in. Emojis were only invented in like the 90s, right? So relatively new as far as language goes. We see things like people expressing their sentiment by doing things like typing the same vowel over and over. So they'll say that they love something. They have like five O's instead of one O. Um, yeah. And we sort of joke, it's like, is is three O's just sort of mildly happy and, and four O's yeah. is a lot? Like we, we look for the, the combination of things going on. Yeah. But um, yeah, so you see um, slang, new words being developed, whole new ways of representing English just by yeah. typing, just being developed on the fly. It's, very, it's an exciting time to be a linguist. Um, some of those things haven't been studied before, so we're literally having to analyze our data and just see like what patterns occur. Super cool. Super Mm -hmm. cool. I think we're coming up on time for today's episode. Um, Any last comments, Simon, that you want to add in about linguistics and AI before we sign off? Yeah. I mean, you can tell from my enthusiasm, like um, language and linguistics is, is my first love ever since I was a teenager. I've always thought it's completely fascinating. Um, And I think we're all used to watching movies where they have the most amazing, completely intelligent, artificial intelligence, things like 2001 or the movie Her, where um, we all dream of getting to that point. Um, We're nowhere near close to that, um, but we are making some pretty solid progress. And I guess the the thing that I like to think of is that... um, the natural language processing technology, the machine learning, the AI that we're doing now, in 50 years, we might look at it and think it's crude, but it's useful in its current form. People are doing really useful things. They're analyzing what's going on in customer conversations. They're looking at trends on social media. Um, you know, We can be extracting um, understanding. We can be looking at a whole lot of data. Um, and... Um, yeah, I mean, that's really the dream, right? It's just to extract mm-hmm. insight from all of that data. Yeah. I mean, I'm excited. Like, even the last two years that I've been here at Dalpad, I feel like we've made great strides in the even the meeting transcriptions that I use when mm-hmm. I have meetings with my team. So, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us, Simon. Today was a pleasure. Thanks. Yeah, always a pleasure to, to geek out about language. Thanks so much. Yeah. Best. All right. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining us today on Work Beautifully, a Dialpad podcast. Learn more about Dialpad's AI-powered unified communications and contact center platform at dialpad.com and find us on your favorite social channels at Dialpad. Stay tuned for our next episode where we'll chat with Natalie Owen, our very own in-house automatic speech recognition expert. Till then.